Macro Podcast number 407 for May 14, 2014, brought to you by iFixit, the world's free online repair manual for everything, and share file by Citrix, the professional way to share files. Welcome to another Macro Podcast. I'm Chris Breen, and uh, sitting across the country from me is... Hello, I'm Serenity Caldwell, back again for yet another Macworld podcast. Yes, yes we are. Yay. Uh, I, have, I have to apologize to you in advance on this one. Um, it seems that my office is uh, infested by fleas. Oh dear. Oh dear, yes. And I, it's not that you're going to hear a big scratching sound, but um, I do have a little cup here where I drown them. And so my hope is that I pick up the correct cup to drink from versus the flea cup. Um, so if you hear any <laughs> gagging noises, it's because I've picked up the wrong one. Duly noted. Well, uh, yes. <laughs> put that cup away from you, Chris. I am. <laughs> I put it, I, I've kind of put it, but I get distracted and, you know. Yes, I know. Cups with yeah. water. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but protein. So there's that. Mm-mm, protein. Um, mm, yeah. Well, I'm sure everybody was really happy. <laughs> really interested. That yeah. In, in the flea cup. Uh, but yeah, we have some more cup. topics. We have some more interesting topics than fleas. Hopefully. Do we? Do we? Really? I think we do. I think well, we let's, do. Let's look name at Name one. <laughs> name one. Oh, gosh. Well, um, there's that Reuters report that uh, that just came out, I think, what, uh, yesterday, today, about um, Apple is going to release two different sizes of iPhone. Surprise, which actually is makes kind of sense. There's been rumors that Apple has been interested in releasing a slightly larger smartphone to compete with the big smartphone screen crowd. Uh, mm-hmm. But the, the crazy rumor is, or the, the according to the report, uh, those they're going to be launched at different times. Uh, and Reuters doesn't come out and say it, but it kind of implies that it's going to be two separate events, to which I say hogwash on two separate yeah. events. On whether or not the phones launch at two different times, that's not terribly unlikely, assuming that the phone gets introduced in August. They're, ta- they're talking about an early, uh, an early uh, release for the iPhone in August for a 4.7-inch model, which is uh, close to the, the – it's a little bigger than the, uh, than the 5S right now, right? Is that mm-hmm. correct? Um, and then in September, it's supposed to be their, their gargantuan phone, their phablet phone. Um, and I think that it could potentially be likely if, uh, if Apple say does an event in August and announces immediate order for the 4.7 inch. And then, uh, you know, a month later says, well, we're opening pre-orders now for the, for the big phone, but you can't get it until September. And right. that, that, that mirrors a lot of their, their old, uh, their old release strategies. Uh, you look at the iPad with the Wi-Fi only and the 3G version. Uh, they've, they've had a history of doing this, uh, but I don't think it's going to be two separate events. Chris, what do you think? Uh, I agree. I We have seen this movie before where Apple will come out and say, hey, there's this one. And then um, I think they did the last time with the 5C and the 5S, but it was only a week apart versus a month apart. Uh, I think some people have said this is concerning because, well, what if the first one saps sales of the second one? Uh, if I think if they're both new models and the, the indication that it'd be iPhone 6 versus a 5S Plus or something indicates that it's a completely new model. So I don't think that is that big a concern. It's not like they're going to be offering another cheap one or, or maybe they'll have a cheap version of it, like a C mm. version that goes with this thing. But um 
I think they're looking at two different audiences, if indeed they really are going to go with this two different sizes. There, there seem to be a lot of people making noise about having a bigger phone because Samsung has done it and other people have done it as well. I'm not convinced of the uh, usefulness of a really big phone. I don't know that Apple would make it really big and clunky because I don't think their design people would, would want to go with that. I think Joni Ive would have a heart attack sooner than make a big clunky phone. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's the, there's the issue of where to put the thing. And I know people are carrying around big Samsung phones and, you know, creating special pockets for it or putting it in little carry-all bags or something like that. But just the utility of using this thing where you're putting it up to your head, I think, looks silly. So, yeah, maybe somewhat bigger, but not huge like some of the Samsung models that have come out. Yes, I I tend to agree. Um, there, what's the? Did you have the exact specs for the Reuters rumor, Chris, or the the report? It was something. It seemed just larger than I anticipated an Apple phone, like a was an, it an five point five? Yeah, something like inches? that. Five point six. Um, that's it. Seems. Uh, that seems gargantuan to me but then again i you know i hate to come from the women have small pockets and uh sure we carry bags sometimes but uh giant giant phones and small hands are not not exactly uh compatible very much especially if you want to use the device one-handed i know our our colleague on the tech hive side and uh greenbot side flow re- reviews a lot of the android phones and she frequently complains she's like all right can it do the pocket test? Can it fit in my back mm-hmm. pocket? Can I hold it with one hand without feeling like my wrist is going to break? I think that's you know those are those are challenges that Apple's going to have to sort of overcome with the with op- making you know a bigger model. Um, but I guess I guess there the opportunity the interest is is enough there that it's worth at least experimenting with a bigger model. Um, some people don't want maybe a, an iPad and an iPhone. Maybe they want like a crazy hybrid device, and they're not so much using it, you know, to put it up to their heads to make phone calls, but they like the 3G and they like the mobile internet access, and maybe it's more of a pocket computer than a strict iPhone. So, so we'll see how that how that shakes out. Yeah, and I don't think it's an issue just for women. For men as well, those of us who still walk around with pockets, unless you have a huge pocket, you're not going to put something the size like an iPad mini in your pocket, which you, if you look at some of these Samsung phones, particularly the really big ones, they're almost that big or they're about the size of a Kindle Fire. And uh, and then, again, you're holding it in one hand, so can you operate with one hand? Not really. You have to Now you have a two-handed device, and then you hold it up to your head and you just look silly. So, um, you know, I don't care how big your hands are. Eventually you get to the point where it just looks like you're holding this block of technology and you're calling it a phone, but uh, not, I don't, I don't think so. Not so much. So anyway, for those people who've been demanding it, I suppose Apple is going to do that. But it will be interesting to see how many people really say, you know, this really, this extra real estate allows me to do X better than whatever I could do before. Maybe. Maybe that'll come out. I mean, there's certainly things I do on my iPad that I don't do on my phone simply because of space limitations. So will GarageBand become a more viable product on a bigger iPhone? Yeah, I, I absolutely think it will because you need that kind of screen real estate that you don't have in the current size phones. Other stuff, I don't know that my email is going to get any better because I'm doing that or my web browsing is going to get significantly better because I have a, a couple of extra inches to work with on the screen. So we'll see. 
Um, one thing that I was yakking about last week, and uh, I will continue to yak about it because uh, I think people know we record this before uh, it drops on Wednesday. So by the time Wednesday rolls around, this may actually have happened. But there's the Beats music um, acquisition. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> the unlikely I'm acquisition. <laughs> the, the very likely or unlikely? Well, it started off as unlikely and has morphed into more and more likely as the news cycle continues to go on. When I first heard the rumor, I actually thought it was a a not the not the most conventional acquisition mm-hmm. for Apple, but definitely reasonable. And I think you had you had sort of similar feelings, right, Chris? Yeah, I um, I've been kind of looking at the the trend for music for a long time. I've been following this stuff since you know back in two thousands. And um, I really like subscription music services. And people, other people have hated them on and on. And part of it was because Steve Jobs, early on with the iTunes store coming out, said people don't want to rent their music. They want to own it. And I think that was a, the attitude of somebody, Steve Jobs, and frankly, my age, that you want to have music, you want to own it, you want to revisit that music time and time again. But I'm also a musician, and I like exploring new music. So when I found that I had access to millions and millions and millions of tracks – I thought subscription was wonderful. I didn't mind paying 10 bucks a month to to have access to that kind of library. So as we've gone along, we've seen music downloads are becoming less popular. I think there's been a 13% drop from last year in people purchasing music. Instead, younger people coming up, and this is certainly the case with my daughter, have no interest in buying music. She has access to Spotify and to Rhapsody and a couple of other services we use, including Beats. And she loves them. She uses those. And if I talk to her about, well, gee, you have a lot of iTunes credits. Don't you just want to buy that album? She looks at me like, why would I do that? I just want to listen to what I want to listen to. And then I want to listen to something else. And then my friends tell me about a song. And I want to listen to it without having to purchase the thing, which um, makes sense to me. I like that model. So when this floated out there, I like Beats Music the best because of its curation. And when the rumor came out, I thought, this makes so much sense, because Apple's iTunes radio just isn't it. They're kind of trying to mimic Pandora, and their algorithms aren't as good. Their curation is fine, but it's limited. They only curate a little bit. And I think ultimately... The team is small. Yeah. And that's it. I think they don't have the resources to do it. They got a ton of money in the bank. And I think, or I hope that somebody, whether it's Eddie Q or Tim Cook or whoever at Apple, just said, you know, this is where music is going, that people are going to start streaming this stuff as they stream Netflix and Hulu. And rather than us trying to cobble this together and not doing it very well, let's just buy somebody who does it really, really well. And I think that's Beats Music right now. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a there's a lot of potential good that Apple could get from acquiring Beats Music. Um, the the primary, you know, people have uh, sort of latched onto the idea of, oh, well, you know, the Beats subscription service is all well and good and the headphones are kind of neat. But you know what Apple really wants? They want Jimmy. And uh, Jimmy, is it Iovine? You mean? Yeah. yeah. Iovine. Iovine. Yeah. Jimmy Iovine, who, you know, has contacts with all of the folks in the music industry and all the folks in Hollywood and has traditionally had a good relationship with Apple over the years and Steve Jobs over the years. Um, and, you know, Eddie Q is a bit of a miracle worker, but uh, even even Q can't get into every Hollywood elite circle to, to try and work on movie and music deals. 
and especially you know with uh, with more increased focus on things like the Apple TV as one of uh, as one of Apple's key products, it makes sense to have somebody who's really tapped in to both the music and movies industries uh, who can make deals that Apple executives may not be able to sort of wedge in. There's just a report on Billboard actually today saying that you know if this deal does in fact go through. They may actually walk out Jimmy Iovine and Dr. Dre at WWDC, which would be interesting. As uh, yeah. yeah, it's like, hey, developers, you know who you want to meet at a, at a conference? Celebrities. Well, people but, uh, do like that sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, they do. I I mean, I worry a little bit looking at that, thinking, oh god, it's it's Samsung and Microsoft walking out a, you know, <laughs> walking out pop stars all over again. But I, I think Apple could do it in a slightly different way, and I do think that uh, that the I I don't know uh, so much about Dr. Dre, but I think Jimmy Iovine is a, is a very key figure in sort of the entertainment industry, and it makes it makes perfect sense for Apple to be like, yes, we want him on our team, we want him making deals for us now. <laughs> yeah, I think there are an awful lot of angles to this. That's one of them, certainly, because the music industry is suspicious of Apple because Apple basically came in and saved them. And they didn't like it so much. They liked the money coming in, and they liked being saved, but they didn't like Apple calling the shots. So I think that they've had kind of this love-hate relationship with a lot of friction for a long time. Having somebody like like Dre and, and Jimmy Iovine come in who are real insiders. I mean, Jimmy Iovine has been producing – he produced Springsteen way back in the day when you know Springsteen was Bruce Springsteen instead of, oh, yeah, Bruce Springsteen. Um so he's got that kind of clout. He knows people from, you know, the modern side of the business as well as, as the older side of the business. Dre's got the cred for, uh, you know, rap and hip hop. It would be nice to see a person of color on Apple's uh, team. Absolutely. Somewhere in there. So, uh, you know, and Dre's a smart guy. And as is Ivan. I mean, they're both smart mm-hmm. people. So as additions in terms of personnel and having the ability to do deals – that's great. The hardware business, I think a lot of people have discounted because people who really care about sound look at Beats headphones and say, yeah, they're kind of not great. And, and it's true. The sound is, the bass is too heavy because that's kind of the audience they're, they're going for. But people buy the things by the truckload because they're fashionable. The headphones alone, I think, are doing you know over a billion dollars worth of business a year. Yep. So. If Apple pays $3.2 billion, even just from hardware sales, they're going to make it up over a number of years. But I do think the play is really Apple looking down the road at what music is going to be like in five, ten years from now and saying, we want to be in on this now rather than clinging to this model. And it doesn't mean the music sales are going to go away, but you can do both of the things, particularly if you keep the brand so that Beats doesn't just disappear, but rather... Yeah, Apple owns us, but we're still Beats. We're still a viable brand. We're a recognizable brand, and we can carry on this way. It just happens to be that the money goes into a different direction. Yeah, I think it would be the second major brand that Apple um, has sort of kept the original name. I mean, Siri, of course, had its original name as Siri before it was acquired. And although it's been integrated very heavily into iOS, uh, it's still, you know, you can still say Siri and people pre-Apple will know, oh, Siri, yeah, that was that little company and now it exists on all iPhones. Um, Whereas Beats, you know, already has this great following and people are really interested in it. It would be, 
I don't know. It's it's something rather new for Apple, though. Care, sort of keeping keeping a company almost entirely separate uh, while still having a, a deep integrated relationship with them. So I'll, I'd be interested to see how that shakes out. Yeah, in the broader sense, this may be another hint that today's Apple is not the Apple of five years ago or four years ago. There's a new guy in town. Increasingly, he's starting to show this is what I do, and this is different than what we've done in the past. So we're going to talk about a little bit, uh, some of this stuff a little bit later. But maybe this is kind of the acquisition that people say, well, Apple never would have done that before. Well, no, but it's a different day at Apple now. They're doing things differently than they once did. If this, again, if this comes to pass, otherwise, if it doesn't happen, this is the greatest troll Ever. Because I think everybody now just says, it, this is so done. It's happening. Yeah, even Dre, you know, supposedly gets drunk and was like, yeah, I'm going to be the first billionaire rapper. <laughs> and so the West Coast wins. And so I suppose those of us on the West Coast, and you're not one of us, by the way, uh, are taking pride in this and going, you know, whatever the USA chant is on the West Coast, which is California. California. Uh-huh. And sorry, California. Yeah, (laughs) I'm a California. I'm a California girl by birth. That's true. I I I respect I respect the West Coast. I grew up in L.A., so I like I definitely. It's a. I mean, it's a huge. It's a huge thing, especially when you consider that, like, what Dre grew up in Compton. Like to go from being a Compton boy to a billionaire is is no no small achievement. Yeah. And yeah. you want to talk about American dream in the 21st century. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, that is awesome. So anyway, I hope it happens. Um, I, I don't know what it's, what effect it would have on anything. I use Sonos to listen to, to everything, and, and Beats is tied into Sonos, so I can use that. My hope is that that won't disappear, that they really will operate as sort of a standalone business and continue their relationship with Stone, Sonos and the other uh, streaming hardware devices um, that I currently have the deal where I'm tied in because of AT&T that for $15 a month, I have access for three different accounts. So that means me, my wife and my daughter, which is great. Um, it becomes very affordable at that point. I'm locked into that for two years. So I hope that doesn't disappear. Please, Apple, make it stay. Um, and the apps are really good. Yeah, apps are quite good. So rather than have it rolled into iTunes where it could get lost, uh, maintain the apps because they, they're designed well. The curation is great. Um, there's an awful lot about Beats that I like. So um, I hope Apple gets it, takes the money from it, but doesn't mess with it too much. Here, here. I really like the subscription service. I would like to, I would like to continue using it and not have it broke or break. Okay. Um, before we carry on, we're going to have a word from iFixit, the world's free online repair manual for everything. You've probably heard about iFixit, but if you haven't, here's the deal. At iFixit, you can find free step-by-step repair guides with foolproof instructions to fix all your coolest stuff. If you've shattered your iPad display, if you need to repair your MacBook Pro, or you need to swap the battery on your iPhone, iFixit's got you covered. They have thousands of repair guides for electronics like your smartphone, your tablet, and your game console. They can even hook you up with the parts you'll need to fix it, and everything they sell is tested and guaranteed. Best of all, iFixit designs and manufactures the most trusted repair tools for electronics, including the ProTech Toolkit. So what's in this thing? Well, there's a ton of stuff in there. They have 70 tools to assist you with any mod, malfunction, or misfortune that comes your way. It's the gold standard for electronics work, from garage hackers to, apparently, the CIA and FBI. But more importantly, the unique tools are used by repair technicians 
everywhere. Now, I could provide you with an exhaustive list of what's in here, but I won't because, well, it'll take me forever to do it. Just know that there are Phillips bits, Pentelope bits, Torx bits, Tri-Wing bits, and this is for video game consoles, Triangle bits, and that's for McDonald's toys, uh, ESD safe precision tweezers. They also have nylon spongers, and these are things for prying things up. And as they say in the business, so much more. It's a great kit for professionals and amateurs alike, and it's backed by a one-year warranty. Check it all out at ifixit.com slash Macworld for all the free repair guides you'll ever need. And when you find that perfect part or tool, just use the coupon code Macworld at checkout, and you get $10 off your order of $50 or more. That's ifixit.com slash Macworld. All right. So, Chris, um, something I wanted to talk about this week is, of course... Katie Cotton uh, announced her retirement right after we recorded the podcast last week, which was uh, a, a big sort of a big shift for Apple. Katie has kind of been, you know, Miss Cotton has been the the PR uh, controller of of all all messages regarding Apple, regarding CEOs for for decades now. And I think the culture that Apple has in regards to secrecy and the way that it treats its uh, its PR representatives is very much uh, a product of her administration. So it's it, it's actually funny because uh, I was talking with uh, with our colleague Dan Morin and a couple of friends when we were up in Montreal the last weekend. You know, oh, I wonder how long Katie is going to continue staying around the company now that it really has sort of shifted to Tim Cook's Apple. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of our friends was like, oh, you know, I I imagine that she'll be gone by the end of the year. And I was I was very uh, adamant against that. I was like, that that's not you know, you know, Katie Cotton is the the secret power behind the throne. It seems crazy that she would uh, she would abdicate. But uh, but it appears that she she is taking time. She is stepping down, um, and I mean I I don't blame her. She's been in the business a long time, and and she does have children. And it's it's you know at, at any you know of any time. It sounds like this is probably the right time to to kind of step away. But it but it's still a shock to me. You know I can't imagine an apple without Katie Cotton. Yeah, that was kind of what I was talking about earlier when I said we'd talk about the the changing face of Apple, and I I think this is part of it. Um, I have nothing but respect for Katie Cotton. I mean, she's journalists have sort of this mixed relationship with her, this mixed feeling about her, because on the one hand, she's a consummate pro; she does her job better than anybody, which is she totally believes in the company, she totally supports the company line, she helps. Uh, mold the company line. A lot of the stuff that you hear of Apple and the way they approach things came from her. So good on you, Katie, for doing that. Journalists, on the other hand, who can't get through her have been frustrated by it. Or And and the whole sort of Katie attitude has gone down through PR. So there are times when people, have, journalists have questions and they want to throw them back at Apple and they just are quiet. They're not going to respond to this because it doesn't it's not going to help them in some way. And let's face it, her job is to help the company. Her job isn't to help me necessarily do my job or other journalists do their job. So I know there have been some remarks from some people who who didn't get along with her, didn't like her because she was so fierce in her defense of Apple. But again, that's what she's paid to do. And she did it really well. One of the things i particularly respect about her is that she's totally changed the way technology addresses PR. If you look now at how companies announce their products, 
it really comes out of out of Katie Cotton, where Apple chose to, instead of going to journalists and begging them to cover their stuff, started creating these events where the tables were turned. Instead of a company saying, oh, we're going to do this, would you please, please, please come? Instead, you have journalists saying, oh, you're going to do that? Can I please, 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 please come? Because it's going to be a big deal. That was a, the model for Apple for a long time. We're now seeing everybody do that. Facebook does this. Google does it. Microsoft does it. And suddenly you've turned the tables on journalists where you can say, we have something really amazing. Of course, you have to deliver something really amazing, and not all other companies do that. But my, but Apple tends to. Um, so I just – in order to – for somebody to have that kind of influence where they can totally change – the way an industry works is uh, is really impressive. Whether I like the results of it or not, don't, it doesn't really matter so much. But um, the fact that that somebody could have that kind of smarts and uh, and will to make that happen is is impressive. But she's moved on. So is this then a sign that Apple is going to change somehow? I don't know that they're going to less be any less secretive than they are. That works for them. Um, but will they be as kind of hard-edged as they may have been in the past? Tim Cook seems to be, and I think you, you maybe follow this even more than I do, seems to be a more approachable guy than, than somebody like Steve Jobs or somebody like Katie Cotton. He is, although I would say that Tim, Tim values secrecy in a, in a slightly different way, but still a very strong way as Jobs and Cotton did. In that, uh, you know, you listen to I, I listen to his uh, financial calls every quarter because I, I transcribe all of them. So I've gotten oh, wow. very intricately familiar with how uh, how Tim phrases his uh, his responses to analysts and and journalists for things like the D conference. Uh, and he he is very passionate about protecting the secrecy of his uh, both what his team is working on and the pipelines. He's really, you know, he he's very, very aggressively protective over people trying to read too much into supply lines or what the way that that all shakes out. Uh, but he is willing to sort of hint a little bit more than I think previ the previous administration was in terms like he is willing to say things like, amazing new products we've got coming up next year whereas mm -hmm. i can't imagine steve jobs ever acknowledging that there would ever that there would be another new product right steve jobs is always about it's always about the now um and we're looking inwardly towards the future but you as the public and the press you're not allowed to look at, at the future you'll get the future when we tell you it's good and ready to to be the future <laughs> right. whereas i think tim cook is a little looser about you know all right. And you, and you actually you even saw this sort of start to change with Final Cut Pro, uh, which is the first product of Apple's I can really think of where they're like, yes, we have a roadmap. Here mm -hmm. are some things we are willing to divulge about what are, what is coming in that roadmap. And that was partially to assuage very worried film editors. Uh, but it also it's a it's a different tack than the company has done in the past. And uh, they seem to be continuing to do that with uh with certain, not necessarily cut and dried, you know, the way that Microsoft may be like, yes, we're doing this, 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 and this, and here is our four-year product roadmap. Uh, but they are a little, a little looser around the edges about certain things. And I, I'm honestly, I'm hopeful for that. I think that that is actually a good move on Apple's part. Like secrecy is great, and I love not knowing what's going to happen at WWDC or, or what 
exact product they're going to announce because there's something fun about that magic. Uh, but but on that note, um, it's really important to me that people like the like iOS and Mac developers have uh, have more uh, clear cut feedback from the company and mm-hmm. aren't just sort of left in the dark. Like we've seen things in the past 10, 15 years, uh, especially with major tra- the major development transitions that Apple's been through with iOS, with uh, with sandboxing, with the Intel switch, uh, where Apple's develop uh, Apple sort of developer relations was hamstrung by Apple PR, and that was you know that's that's a really uncomfortable situation for developers to be in because. You know, developers at their heart—they're—they're they're helping sell the platform. You know, they're making—they're right. making software that people love, um, and for the PR department to be basically like, "Nope, sorry, you—you uh, you engineers, you help people who are supposed to help developers, you're not allowed to say anything, not even hint at anything, not even give people your email address and ask them to contact you privately, because heaven forbid that something gets out to the public eye." So I'm kind of hoping that, like, maybe this slightly looser PR schema will will bleed over into the development community because it really it, it it would be good to see uh, to see developers have a, a bit more uh, freedom to to work with Apple engineers and uh, and the help desk department. Well, I think it's a different world now too than it was mm-hmm. ten years ago. I think when the, when that was sort of the heyday of of the secrecy and because. One thing is a lot of the stuff that comes out now, you, it's because of the supply lines or the things are happening in China. And you just can't keep that stuff under wraps. So it's harder to surprise people. But also, I think we're in an era now where things are moving so quickly <clears throat> that you have to, um, that it's very difficult to release a fully formed perfect product, that things tend to be, as with Final Cut Pro 10 or the revamp of or the reboot of, of iWork, where you sort of release this V1 of this and say, yeah, we know it isn't perfect. Uh, it's good, you know, and this is our vision for the thing, but you're going to see improvements over the next six months, over the next year, wait till the next version after that, which is much more like what Microsoft was traditionally uh, known for. They released V1 of a product and people say, wow, this isn't very good. Yeah, but wait till V2 comes out. And then it came out and you go, oh, yeah, you're right. This is better. And then after about three or four iterations, you've got a fully formed product. I think that's the world we live in now where things are beta forever. So if you look at a lot of the Google products that still aren't real products, although they've been around for like a decade. And so I think PR has to kind of change a little bit at Apple where – you can't always – I mean, sure, they're going to get up on stage and say, this is amazing, this is stupendous, this is miraculous, this is godlike. But at the end of the day, once that the distortion field is cleared, be honest and say, yeah, you know, this is what we're looking at. But we're going to see this advance over time. We know it. We, we're willing to admit that's going to happen. You know it. We're all happy here. And uh, and having a little lighter touch on, on PR could help um, – Keep people from getting too distressed about it, I think, and uh, and pile on Apple with things like where Maps comes out and it's half baked, and then say, "Well, clearly Apple is doomed." It's like, no, it's a work in progress. Not quite, yeah. All right, um, I think we have one more thing to talk about, but before we do, we're going to hear from uh, ShareFile by Citrix, the professional way to share files. It should come as a surprise to just about no one that most of us rely on email to communicate 
with our clients and our coworkers. And we're frequently exchanging files like contracts and spreadsheets and presentations. But if you're sending these important and sometimes confidential documents as regular email attachments, you need to know about a better way. And that better way is ShareFile by Citrix. Instead of attachments, ShareFile sends your documents as secure links, so you can quickly send files of almost any size, and we're talking about gigabytes of size. You can control who has access to them and for how long, and you can receive email alerts when the files are opened and reviewed. Plus, ShareFile is easy to use and will help you work more efficiently. So keep everyone on the same page with shared folders that sync automatically and access files from anywhere using your computer or your mobile device. Recently, I've reevaluated the way I share files and I'm starting to use ShareFile now and I'm really happy with the results. So here's what to do. Sign up today for a 30-day free trial. There's no obligation. Go to ShareFile.com, click the microphone at the top of the homepage and enter Macworld. Again, ShareFile.com, Click the microphone icon and type in Macworld. So, Tom Wheeler. Tom Wheeler, the guy who runs the FCC. We have talked. Oh, Tom Wheeler. Oh, Tom. That darn Tom. That scamp of a Tom Wheeler. Uh, We've talked about him a few times on the past. And we're going to talk about him again. Because apparently uh, this week he he had a plan for the FCC and net neutrality. And uh, people weren't entirely thrilled with the plan about That's putting it nicely. (laughs) Right. So now he's reacted. And so how exactly has he reacted? Well, um, he's, you know, taken a step back a little bit about the four pay services, which is to say that uh, they're still going ahead with the idea of uh, paying for sort of a little bit extra. But they want to put in a provision that broadband providers can't unfairly put non-paying companies' content at a disadvantage. So you can pay for even more faster speed, but you can't throttle someone who like doesn't pony up the extra five bucks for Twitter to 0.5 megabits of – you know, you can't – According to his proposal, you can't uh, you can't unfairly uh, destroy someone's internet connection just because they're not willing to pony up. Uh, and then there's also uh, some hints about oh well, well we'll get some feedback from consumers about whether uh, whether we should ban paid prioritization altogether um, or whether we should you know finally apply Title One and Title Two you know switch the titles on uh, on ISPs and make them regulated like the phone industry. Uh, and I'm skeptical. <laughs> uh, really? It's, yeah. I mean, it's, it's all well and good to say this. And right. I, I applaud Tom Wheeler for at least putting a stick in the ground and saying, hey, you know that thing I said I was going to do? Maybe not so much. Uh, but at the same time, I, I don't know. I, I generally like Tom Wheeler, but he's also worked for everybody under the sun and yeah. – I am really skeptical at even if they listen to the public and the public overwhelmingly says, heck no, we don't want uh, – we, we want ISPs as common carriers. We don't want paid prioritization. This is awful. Uh, I am very, very skeptical at his ability to actually get that passed through Congress as a – through the power of the FCC, through anything because there's just so much lobbying money being thrown mm-hmm. around in the tech industry right now. There's so much millions and millions and millions of dollars just being used to like – to influence public policy and I, I just – I don't know. I, as as much as we, we can rant and rally and, and complain about this, I – at the end of the day, 
is he going to have the spine to be able to push it through to get a to get a bill entered into Congress? Is Congress going to be able to pass such a thing? Yeah, I'm just I'm skeptical. Yeah, I I read his comments and I just thought yeah, it sounds exactly like what you were saying before because it doesn't have any teeth, right? He can say, well, we'll look at deals and make sure that they're okay. But there's, there's no force of law in that, right? It's up to their discretion to decide, one, are they going to look at this deal? And two, are they going to do anything about it? Plus, it's not like Tom Wheeler is going to be the FCC chairman for life. A couple of years from now, we're going to have a new FCC chairman if Tom isn't indicted and thrown in jail. Not that he would be, not he's ever done anything wrong, but should something like that happen? Or he's hit by a meteor. You may have somebody else in there. Okay, so there's no law in the books that says, no, you can't do this, or we're going to change this to common carrier. So let's say um, the uh, the Wretched People Party takes over, and, uh, and they put the czar of wretchedness in charge of the FCC, and he's completely in the pockets of the ISPs. There's nothing on the books that says that this is can be prevented. Instead, they'll say, yeah, we said we'd look at deals if we thought they smelled bad. We don't see any such deals, so there's no reason to do this. So I just think he's trying to get away from it and, and still push through this idea that that ISPs want to be paid. And um, and sure, maybe maybe companies or maybe ISPs won't won't throttle somebody. But the fact is, if you've set the bar high, so good content gets through and you leave everything else alone. Over time, it's the same thing as throttling because the service is going to be poor in comparison to other things. So I don't think any of the arguments about this um, getting in the way of innovation have been altered one bit by Tom saying that, that they were going to try to be more fair about this thing. I think unless you actually propose real things where there are real consequences, it's simply not going to happen. And as you say, and even more important, is uh, – if there's no legislative will to have this happen, we're just going to be arguing about this forever. And as you saw, as soon as they overturned the net neutrality rules, it was like two weeks. And then suddenly yep. these deals started happening. So there were people poised, you know, say, OK, we've got the plan. We've got the plan. It's off. OK, let's go. Let's wait a week and then let's go. So, um I don't think he's a stupid or a naive guy. I think he knows exactly what's going on. But I think for people to believe in this is naive, that uh, the ISPs are going to use every advantage, every loophole they can possibly find to make money um, and to favor the people they want to favor and not favor people they don't want to favor. So, Tom, I'm calling BS on you and uh, do something better than this. Put out something realistic or don't put out anything at all. Yeah, well, I do hope that, that there continues that people do see through this, and that people in Congress and and elsewhere continue to say, "No, come on, no, this isn't, no, this isn't it. Don't do this." Uh, and you know that the people win. Uh, people tend to be very um, protective of their internet, and there have been efforts in the past to throttle things and and get in the way, and they've not gone through because of that. So, I hope that message continues to be heard in the halls of power. And um, and we continue to uh, little guys can have the same kind of access that uh, that we have today, 10 years from now. Absolutely. All right. Well, there. 
That was the we've easy put answer. Our, yeah, we've put our flag in the ground. Put our flag in the ground. And, I mean, what else are we going to say? We're going to say, oh, no, I think the ISP should totally be able to discriminate. <laughs> yeah, I think ISP, come, podcast come walk all over us. Yeah, mm-hmm. that would be awesome if you did that. Although maybe AT&T has a podcast or something. They, yeah. They argue for this sort of thing. but. Uh, uh. Uh, yeah, that's an easy stand. To make. We'll leave it to the lobbyists to explain why this is a good thing for consumers. Well, they should. They're getting paid a whole lot of money to make that kind of argument. So exactly. Um, so you might as well leave them, leave them to it. Right. Oh, you know, and I want to mention um, as we close out that uh, if you want to comment, make a comment to us. You can at podcast at macworld.com. Uh, we have that link on our show notes page, which, by the way, is at macworld.com. But we don't mention it uh, for those people tuning in through iTunes or other services. So send us a message to uh, both Ren and I will get it and uh, have your say. And uh, we may reply or not. Maybe even on the air. Ooh, even on the air. Great. Okay. Well, I think that wraps it up for us. So um, I'll say bye. Goodbye. Oh, one thing before we go. You can help the Macworld podcast stay free to download by completing a short anonymous survey. It won't take you any more than five minutes to complete. Your answers will help us match our shows with advertisers that best fit the sensibilities of our podcast and its listeners, like you, for example. So, listeners who complete the survey will be entered in an ongoing monthly raffle to win a $100 Amazon gift card. We promise not to share or sell your email address, and we won't send you email unless you win, in which case you probably want to hear from us. Please go to www.podsurvey.com slash Macworld. Again, that's www.podsurvey.com slash Macworld to take our survey and you get a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Thanks very much. And of course, thanks again for listening to this episode of the Macworld Podcast, sponsored by iFixit, the world's free online repair manual for everything, and ShareFile by Citrix, the professional way to share files. 